Good morning. I'm grateful to be back with you this morning. Um, I prepared this sermon while I'm taking a history class. I think there are a few thousand words in the English language, and I've used every single one of them this week <laughs> in writing and reading. I love to read, but I don't like reading um, what I don't want to read. You know how you're in school, and I love reading. It's just I don't want to be reading this stuff. I'm grateful to be uh, back with our family uh, at uh, Church of the Apostles. Now, David has prayed. Will you join me in another brief word of prayer? You know what it is because I say it every time. I say the same thing. Lord, it's your spirit that does the work. It is your spirit that produces your, the fruit. And we pray for your spirit that he will teach us and transform us into the image and likeness of your Son, our Savior, our Redeemer, Jesus the Christ. It's in his strong name we pray. Amen. I love Advent. I mean, really, it's, it's, my, it's, it's my favorite holiday because um, it's, 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 uh, as soon as Thanksgiving is over, uh, well, Kira and Morgan listen to holiday classics on Sirius XM when I'm not in the car all the time. But I, but I won't let them listen to it when I'm in the car until after Thanksgiving. And I'm always looking for my number one favorite song. It's not Oh Little Town of Bethlehem, though I love that, or uh, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, or Oh Come All Ye Faithful. Those are my favorites. My, 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 one of my, uh, number, my number two favorite uh, hymn Advent is Oh Come, Oh Come, Emmanuel, and Ransom Captive Israel. I love that. I, I just, I get emotional when I read the lyrics lyrics to the, to, to the hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And although I love though, my favorite number one Christmas song is Andy Williams. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Now, you who have watched Home Alone know that song very well. And so that's what I feel like when it, when it gets this time of the year. But the interesting thing about Advent is it's kind of like a winter Lent. It's, it, we would think it's a time of excitement, and it is, but it's really a time of preparation and expectation. It's, it's, we're between the already Jesus has come and the not yet. Jesus is coming again. I thought about that a lot as I looked at this passage in the Gospel of Luke. And, 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 and Luke is a physician. He, he, he's the only Gentile writer of Scripture. He, he's a historian. And as I looked at this text, the question that I, that, that I asked or that, that was asked of me is, what does your life look like? Since you have been baptized. What has your life 
look like? What does your life look like since you received the sacrament of baptism? How have you been living the new life that you've received, gifted by God since you begin following Jesus Christ in the, through the waters of baptism? What does your life look like since you've been buried, died, and supernaturally resurrected from spiritual death, regenerated by God's Holy Spirit, and empowered by His Spirit to follow? Follow Jesus Christ in discipleship. Have you been denying yourself? Have you been taking up your cross daily and following Jesus Christ? What does your life look like since you were baptized? Have, 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 have you been living the way Paul declares for himself in Galatians 2 and 20? He says, I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives within me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Are, are you laying hold of Paul's admonition in Colossians chapter 3 verses 1 through 4? He says, since you have been raised to new life with Christ, have you set your minds on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand? Think about the things of heaven, not the things of of earth. Have you been thinking about the things of heaven and not the things of earth? Have you have you forgotten? Do you remember? For for you have died to this life. This world, Paul says, is dead to me and I am dead to this world and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ who is your life, your Zoe is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. I, I ask this question of us this morning because you know why? We are talented at the externals. And we place great focus on the superficial. We, we check the boxes for making sure we are serving in a ministry, check. Giving tithe and offering, check. Attending corporate worship occasionally, check. Having a personal devotional time, check. And yet God's message through John the Baptist is that God is not interested in routine religion. God is interested in renewing our hearts. That's, I could say amen and let's pray. Because that's the point. God, God is not interested in, in our routine religious rituals. God is interested in our hearts. So let's unpack this text. Talk about John who he is, where he is, and what he says. First, who he is. 
Because we're first introduced to John the Baptist with the dramatic birth announcement from the angel Gabriel in Luke chapter 1 that his aged father Zechariah the priest receives while he's on duty burning incense at the temple. And Gabriel, the scripture says, Luke writes, gives the remarkable details of, 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 of John the Baptist's future. John, John, Gabriel tells John's dad, uh, uh, Zechariah, he will be great before the Lord. Filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. You remember that when Mary came to visit uh, Elizabeth, uh, John started tiptoeing on in Elizabeth's, uh, dancing in Elizabeth's womb. He will turn many of the children of Israel to their Lord, to the Lord their God. And he will go before Jesus in the spirit of the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the, uh, the just. To make ready for the Lord a people prepared. I love this narrative. Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth are elderly, barren, and they conceive a son in their old age. But what's interesting, we should know that John was the transitional prophet between the Old Testament and the New Testament. He, 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 he's, like, he's like an Old Testament prophet in the New Testament. And Luke presses fast forward. And now in chapter three, we're at the beginning of John's very powerful and brief ministry of preparing God's people for their Messiah and then presenting God's Messiah, Jesus Christ, to his people. John seems like a very unusual character when you read about him. He's, he's like, he's kind of like, he's, he's, he's bohemian, you know. He, he, his wardrobe consists of camel-haired outfits with a leather belt, and, and, and his diet seems unusual to us. I mean, he shops at Whole Foods. He, 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 he's vegan before vegan even exists. He, he eats locusts and honey. And, 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 and locusts were among the clean beasts allowed for food. And, and, and it was not against the dietary restrictions of the Old Testament. He's, he's, he's unusual. And John is the forerunner who trots out ahead of Jesus and announces his coming. John is the Advent man, the preacher who prepares the people for Christ and presents Christ to the people. And I look at John's life and it made me think of the first question in the Westminster larger catechism. And it, the first questions asked, what is the chief and highest end of man? And the answer is man's chief and highest end is to glorify God and fully to enjoy him forever. And that's what John is doing. John is not poking around pulling up his a horoscope or going to the palm reader or, 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 or trying to find out what the Ouija board says. No, John knows what his purpose is and he understands that his purpose is to point people to Jesus. Amen. Do you know the purpose of your life? Retired? 
dreaming about retirement, just getting started, working outside of the home, working a full-time job as the, the, the mom and chief operating officer of the home. You have a purpose. Whatever you are doing, your purpose is ultimately to be doing that which points people to Jesus. John, Jesus says it in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. Let your, no, you are the salt that preserves. You are the light that reveals. And they'll know you are my followers not by the way you dress, not by the way you talk, not by the way you vote, but by the way you love. John is fulfilling God's purpose and plan for his life. His purpose is to point people to Jesus Christ. And guess what? In this season of Advent, John reminds me and you that that is our purpose to point people to Jesus. Husband, are you pointing your wife to Jesus? Couple, are you pointing your family to Jesus? You're saying, I'm hooked up. I, I, you talked about people that are married. I'm waiting. You're single, but are you in your singleness pointing people to Jesus? John knows his purpose, and that's what he's doing. Not only who John is, but let's talk a minute about where John is. Because he doesn't live in the city. He's not in the suburbs. He turns his back on the city and the village and he turns to the wilderness. Empty, dry, barren, lonely wilderness. In Israel's history, the wilderness represents a place of testing, patience, and grace. It, it was in the wilderness that God's people spent 40 years wandering, you know the story, complaining and rebelling against God, worshiping worthless idols. But here's the grace. Their clothes and shoes never wore out. God catered meals of manna and quail. And when they complained, he popped up a Kentucky fried leeks and onions. <laughs> Their thirst was slaked with water from a rock in the wilderness where it's barren and lonely and empty. And then... It was in the wilderness that God manifested his presence by leading them in a pillar of cloud during the day and a pillar of fire at night. They received the commands from God on Mount Sinai. It was there that God repeatedly taught his people to depend on him. 
And God brought deliverance to young Israel in the wilderness of Sinai following the exodus. And then the wilderness both literally and figuratively became a place of prophetic it was, it, was, it, was, it was in the wilderness. And then John is not only in the wilderness, but he's even more specifically at the Jordan. It was at the Jordan River, you remember, that piled up in a heap in Joshua as the priest stood in the middle of the Jordan with the Ark of the Covenant, which is the throne of God. As the people crossed over on dry ground, just like they did through the Red Sea. You remember, I love this, in 2 Kings 5, it was the dirty, unimpressive Jordan River that the prophet Elisha sent that great uh, general uh, uh, Naaman to dip seven times for his cleansing from leprosy. And Naaman complained and said, now, there are much better sources of water than the Jordan. Uh, but, 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 but no, your issue is not just your leprosy, it's your pride too, and you need to go down to the Jordan. And you know what happens. He dips in the, in the Jordan, and he comes up healed. There are better bodies of water that John could be near. There's the Abana and the Farpar rivers in Damascus. There's the Sea of Galilee where Jesus spends much of his time. But it was none of these. It was this dirty Jordan River that John the Baptist calls people to come to be baptized. It's in the wilderness that Jesus spends 40 days hungry, tempted by the devil, and conquers the sins of the first Adam. And just as the people pass through the wilderness and the Jordan to enter the promised land, John is bringing people back to God through this wilderness and John calls out calls us out of our civilization into the wilderness of repentance and stillness and barrenness and emptiness where we are totally alone with God listen the wilderness is the place where we learn that God is the one who supplies our needs That's why you need the wilderness. You, you, you've been there, haven't you? you, you you've been in, in a wilderness emotionally. And, 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 and you're saying, you're asking, Lord, why am I here? Or, or if, you, if you have a bad understanding of Christianity, you'll think you, you, you somewhere believe in karma, you know, Buddhism, bad things happen to bad people and good things happen to good people. You know that? There are some Christians who believe that actually. They, but, 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 but grace says, no, we don't believe bad things happen to bad people and good things happen to good people. The only good person that a bad thing happened to was Jesus and he volunteered. <laughs> it, 
It's in the wilderness that, 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 that when, 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 when you're in a, in, in married, you go through a season, a, 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 a wilderness period in marriage, and, and you have to reevaluate and, and, and rediscover and re-explore. But that's the time where you realize that I didn't just need the Lord to get married, I needed the Lord to stay married. Wilderness in a career. That's going nowhere. And you've applied, I know I have, to so many places. I don't even remember at times where I applied to. And somebody calls and say, we hired somebody else. And I ask them, well, when, when did I apply? <laughs> wilderness. This time of year puts many of us in an emotional wilderness, especially if our moms or dad or loved ones have outrun us to the father's house. And we remember these times, spending these times with them. And for some of us, they were some of the best times of our life. We get in a wilderness, and, but it's in that wilderness, it's in that season where we learn and recognize that that's the perfect place for us to recognize that God is the one who is supplying all of our needs. Oh, don't, don't run from the wilderness. Don't feel like God is punishing you by being in the wilderness. Oh, God, thank you for the wilderness. I didn't know what I didn't know until I got in the wilderness. Thank you for the gift of the wilderness. So I can know, I can understand that you supply all my needs. And that's what John is doing. He's saying, you, you need to come out from the wilderness, out from the city, out from the capital. You need to come out here to the wilderness so you can be alone with your sinfulness. And I can help you see that God supplies your needs. That's who, what, where John is. But, but, but lastly, what is he saying? Because Luke sets the stage for John the Baptist in a very interesting way. He does it by introducing this A-list of earthly powers. If you look in verses 1 and 2, there's an emperor, there's a governor, a Pontius Pilate. We know him. He's the only sinner besides us that's made it into the Apostles' Creed. Then there are three, there, there are three tetrarchs and two high priests. And they represent the political, economic, and religious power and authority with all the wealth and military power and ancestry that would immediately capture your attention. But look at what God does. He skips the political and religious establishment and sends his rhema word to a nobody in the middle of nowhere. The last prophet that spoke, you've got your Bibles, is Malachi. And for 425 years, there's no voice from God. Not one word, not a peep. And suddenly... God breaks 
prophetic silence and God sends his rhema word to a nobody in the middle of nowhere and and, and God sends and announces his word tell the people to get ready because the king is coming. Genesis 15 1 says the word of the Lord came to Abraham. The word of the Lord came to Samuel. The word of the Lord came to the prophet Nathan. In, second, in 1 Kings 17, it says, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. And so the word of the Lord coming to someone was indicative of a calling from God. And we find that illustrated among the prophets And the word of God comes to John during the messy reality of a world defined by secular and religious power. And what God's word does, it breaks through and divides politics and religion and speaks directly to wounded men and women with a word of hope. It was a terrible time in in, in the life of God's people. This word of hope. Get ready. The king that you have long waited for in your your discouragement, God comes and breaks through the darkness of depression and discouragement. He breaks through the darkness of pessimism and skepticism and fear. God breaks through the darkness of our pride and ego, our selfishness and self-centeredness. God breaks through our superficial and materialistic hearts today bringing the same word of hope that we so desperately need. You need a king. You need a king. Get off the throne of your heart because we are going to put a new king up there. John comes preaching the same message, kind of like Noah preaching the same sermon every day on the corner. Be baptized, repent, and receive forgiveness. Now, let me tell you why this is strange. Because now non-Jews who wished to convert to Judaism were required to immerse themselves in water to remove their impurity as Gentiles. It's kind of like when former Baptists, Syrians and Lutherans come to the real church, Anglicanism, and we have to dash them with a little water doing, the, doing, doing Christ's baptism to watch this, to get rid of the stink of that old Protestant off of them. John's call the baptism of repentance for forgiveness sends a message to these Jews that... I know you think you're okay, but you're not really okay with God. Things are not well. What what we're doing here in this Jordan, this is not merely ritual washing. This is something that involves a definite break with sin. John says... This isn't just for Gentiles. This is for you who think that you don't need it. 
I know people like that. You're listening to people like that right now. People that, that, that a person that often thinks, I, I, I'm okay and I don't need it. Don't we do? We, we compare ourselves to other sinners. And when you compare yourself to other sinners, you actually are probably doing very good. But oh, when you really compare yourself to God's standard, Jesus Christ, what does your life look like since you were baptized? John says, this is not just going through the ritual. This is not routine. Baptism without change of lifestyle is worthless. That's what this John is saying. He said, you need to repent. And repentance, some people think that repentance is mostly about feelings, especially feeling sorry for your sin. And it is partly, it, 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 it's wonder to feel sorry about your sin, but repentance isn't a feelings word, it's an action word. John told his listeners, and he's telling us, to make a change of the mind, not merely to feel sorry for what they had done. Repentance speaks of a change of direction, not just sorrow in the heart. I like, I, like, I like what Tim Keller says. Repentance is not the way into salvation. It's the way of salvation. That's what I spend most time doing, repenting. Lord, forgive me. And then believing that I truly received that gift of forgiveness, and then being, being open not only to receive forgiveness, but open to quickly give forgiveness. Forgiveness is the wiping out of an offense from memory. That's what John is announcing, that when you step in these waters and repent, God is wiping out out the offense from his own mind. And it can only be accomplished by the one injured. See, that's, see, when you hurt another person, you are really defacing the image of God. But once it's removed, the offense no longer conditions your relationship with, between you and God. God does something all by himself. He restores the harmony between the two of you. That's John's message. That's John's message to us. Paul says it well in Romans 6. Do, not, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. That's what we can do right now because of what God has done in Jesus Christ. 
So read, read this passage in Matthew and read it in Luke, and you'll find the most fascinating thing because Matthew and Luke really uh, uh, help us uh, uh, see the whole picture uh, 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 of, the, uh, uh, of the baptism and what God is doing here as God in John the, the Baptist prepares this salvation superhighway. He does something. It's amazing. I, I, I almost, I, I couldn't even handle it when, when I first recognized it. It, 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 it helped me understand, and, 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 I, and it was the gospel that I so desperately needed to hear, that, that after everyone has been, been baptized by John in the River Jordan, they've been washed, they've been cleansed, They've been made new. All of their sin is still in that water. Their, their adultery has been washed off. Their lust has been washed off. Their greed has been washed off. Their pride has been washed off. And they've gotten out of the water. And then something dramatic happens. Jesus comes to the water to John and says, baptize me. And John protests. He says, I need you to baptize me. But Jesus says, no, this is to fulfill all righteousness. And I got stuck right there because Jesus is the righteousness of God. He's the one with no sin. He has no guile, no filth in him, but he steps in that water with the film of your sin and my sin, and he, he steps in that water clean and comes out dirty. And you and I step in that same water of baptism dirty and come out clean. That's what God is doing in this season of Advent, in preparing you and me that we can go to God and confess our sins. And if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And every time someone puts on their scuba gear and goes in the sea of forgetfulness to pull out our sin and shows it to us and remind us of what we used to be and what we used to do, we can say, you're not lying, you're telling the truth, but I've got the proof in my heart that God has washed me and made me clean. That's the good news for you, that Jesus was baptized for you. He took on your sin in that water. Now you can go to God freely, freely confess your sin and not walk around looking over your shoulder. Because John, Luke says in verse 6 that this salvation high, super highway that John is preparing, 
Luke does something that the other gospel writers don't do. He includes all of the passage of Isaiah chapter 40, verses 3 through 5. He says, and it's for all people. That's you. That's me. That's the good news. Let's pray. Lord, most days my life does not point to you. I fail miserably most days. I confess most times I'm so consumed with myself and navel-gazing that I'm not pointing to you. Thank you for your word that comes to us in the wilderness and announces that we can have peace with you now because you have come in your own Son, Jesus Christ. That for us, peace is not a concept or an idea or a space or a feeling. But for us, peace is a person who reigns, rules, super rules, and overrules. Lord, it's your spirit that does the work. It's your spirit that produces the fruit. Now, I pray that your spirit will teach us and your spirit will transform us into the likeness and image of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.